Sometimes uh, in sport, uh, a team can begin a match well, but something happens and they go off the ball. Now, if you watch football or rugby or any of those sort of sports, I'm sure you've seen this sort of thing where the team begins really well and they're in the lead at halftime and it looks as though they are certain to win, but they've gone off the ball. And although they were in complete control of the game during the first half, when they come out in the second half, it all seems to fade away. And at the end of the game, they lose. And their supporters lament, or, or maybe they grumble or complain. If only they'd kept playing the way they had begun. If only they'd come out with the same effort in the second half. If only they'd shown the same commitment and determination to win that they had in the first half. If only, and it could go on and on. The supporters are left with the disappointment of if only. And the players with their heads hanging as they go off the pitch are left with the regret of if only. Now, as we look back at his life, that's what it was like for Joash. He was, if we can put it like this, an if only man. 2 Kings 12 and verse 2 tells us that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. During those years, there was a godly influence on Joash. And during those years with that godly influence on him, he did what was right in God's eyes. But when that influence was removed, when Jehoiada died, it was a very different matter with Joash. Now, if we're going to get a full picture of him, we have to take 2 Kings 12 and 2 Chronicles 24 together. 2 Chronicles 24 tells us a fair bit more about what happened in his lifetime and what he did. But the big thing that we see about the first part of Joash's life is the renovation of the temple in Jerusalem. And that seemed to be something that Joash was enthusiastic about. There's all that gathering of money, and he told the priests how to gather that money. And then, well, the priests, they didn't get on with the job of renovating the temple. Joash came, and he, he made them carry out that renovation. And that enthusiasm, that seemed to show that in Joash there was a commitment to the Lord. Here was where the Lord was worshipped. He wanted to restore the temple, and it looked as though the worship of God was to the forefront in his life. 
seemed to be committed to God and His worship. But 2 Chronicles 24, verse 17 to 19 says this, After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. The Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to Him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. There seemed to be such enthusiasm for the restoration of the temple in Joash. He had pushed the priests into carrying out that restoration. He seemed to be someone who really wanted to worship and praise and serve God. And yet he abandoned the temple of the Lord. And not only did he abandon the temple, but with others, he started worshiping those Asherah poles and idols. Just how far Joash had sunk was seen when Zechariah, Jehoiada's son, came to him and complained and spoke against the abandonment of the temple and the abandonment of God. We're told Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had shown him, but killed his son. Actually, Zechariah was stoned to death. In 2 Kings 12, although it doesn't tell us about the abandonment of God and the abandonment of the temple and the worship of idols, it shows us that there was something very wrong with Joash. For it tells us how he stripped the temple of everything of value that had been dedicated to the Lord, all that money that had been brought in. And the temple had been restored, and there had been all the vessels of the temple. And Joash stripped it of everything of value that had been dedicated to the Lord. And he did that to use it as a bribe. Verse 17 to 18, Hazael, king of Aram, went up and attacked Gath and captured it. Then he turned to attack Jerusalem, but Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred objects dedicated by his fathers, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, the kings of Judah, and the gifts he himself had dedicated and all the gold found in the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and of the royal palace. And he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, who then withdrew from Jerusalem. Joash didn't do what he should have done. He didn't look to the Lord for help. He didn't trust in the Lord whenever this army came against Jerusalem. 
but he had his own solution to the problem. He went his own way. He thought he could pay off Hazael. He thought he could give him gold and silver and whatever else there was of value. He would give him all that had been stripped from the temple as a bribe, or maybe it would be called tribute, to make Hazael go away. And he did go away. He withdrew. But it was only for a short time. In 2 Chronicles 24, we learn that the Arameans didn't stay away for long. At the turn of the year, that's in the spring, the army of Aram marched against Joash. It invaded Judah and Jerusalem and killed all the leaders of the people. They sent all the plunder to their king in Damascus. Although the Aramean army had come with only a few men, the Lord delivered into their hands a much larger army. Because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, judgment was executed on Joash. In fact, Joash was left severely injured. Whenever the Arameans withdrew and his officials killed him on his bed, one of the reasons why they killed him was because of what had been done to Zechariah, the priest. So the first part of Joash's life was good. There seemed to be enthusiasm for the Lord, for the temple, for his worship. There seemed to be a commitment to him. He did what was right in the Lord's sight. And that doing what was right in the Lord's sight was because of the godly influence of Jehoiada. Doesn't that show us the effect that a godly influence can be? you're a believer, what an encouragement that is for you to exercise such an influence wherever you can. It's to be, in fact, what Jesus calls upon His disciples, calls upon Christians to be. Doesn't He say that we are to be salt and light in this world? That is to exercise that godly influence in this world. And in the many different places you find yourself, you can exercise that influence and you can make a difference in your family, whether that's your immediate family or your wider family circle, in your workplace. I can remember whenever I was a young man an older man in, in a workplace, somewhere really that I was doing summer jobs, and his godly influence was tremendous in that workplace. You can exercise that influence among your friends. 
and organizations you belong to, and simply your daily dealings with people, people you rub shoulders with or you meet every day. You can influence by your words. Not holding your tongue whenever you hear something that's wrong being said. To speak out for what is right, to speak out for what is godly. Especially in your words by speaking of Christ and challenging sin. You can exercise that influence by your behavior, by the standards you live by. In other words, you can exercise that influence by walking close to Christ every day, no matter where you may be. And it's good. It's good to have such an influence, to be salt and light in this world. But Joash shows us that more than others being influenced to moderate their behavior, because you are there, or for others to have a, maybe a superficial religion because they've been affected by your influence. Something more is needed. Personal faith, not just outward show, is what is needed. So if you're a believer and you do seek and you are seeking to have that godly influence on others around you, to live your life close to Jesus, to live by standards and behavior that may well affect those around you, to speak out against what is wrong and up for what is right, to speak about Jesus. Pray that God would give those you influence a broken and a contrite heart. Pray that he would draw them to Christ. Pray that he would bring them to a personal faith in Christ, that there would be more than just an influence that can very easily be shaken off. That personal faith was missing in Jewish. And it is why he was an if-only man. You see, if only he had had that personal faith, how different his life story and its outcome would have been. But Joash was like those described in Isaiah 29 and verse 13, where the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Joash came near to the Lord. Joash honored the Lord with his lips in the temple for a time. But his heart was far from the Lord. Isn't it so easy to do that? Isn't it so easy to come along 
not to the temple, but to the meeting house. So easy to honor the Lord with our lips, and yet our heart is far from Him. Joash, in the first part of his life, was all show. His adherence to the Lord and his religion was all show. They were focused on externals. They were focused on the restoration of the temple and gathering in all the money to restore the temple and giving gifts to the temple. But there was no heart trust, no heart faith in it. We can look back at Joash, and we can say, if only, if only he had kept to Jehoiada's influence, if only his heart had been right with the Lord, if only he had personal faith in the Lord, he would not have listened to the officials of Judah. He would not have abandoned the temple. He would not have turned to worship at the Asherah poles and the worship of idols. If only he had listened to the warnings that were given by the prophets that God sent. If only he had remembered all that Jehoiada had done for him and listened to his son Zechariah. And if only when the Arameans came, he had turned to the Lord for help and strength. If only he had trusted in God and relied on Him. There are a lot of if onlys there in Joash's life, aren't there? And we can all look back. We can all look back at many things in our life and say, if only. If only I had made different decisions. If only I had done different things. And we can feel a pang of regret for things that we have done are things that we have left undone. Are you a believer here today? I wonder as you look back in your life from this moment, look back at your life, are there those things that you have to regret? you look back with regret at the opportunities that you had, at the opportunities that God gave you, at the influence that you might have had, if you'd lived a different life, if you'd lived life in a different way, if you'd been that bit braver and had spoken out, spoken up for Christ. Do you look back with regret at your life for the witness that you might have been? 
the witness you might have had to Christ and salvation. But you let it slip by. The opportunities God gave, the influence you might have had, all that you might have done, you look back with regret. Maybe you look back with regret at times you didn't pay heed to the Word of God. When you knew what God was saying to you, what He was telling you from His Word, and maybe for a moment you felt convicted or convinced that this was what you should have done what you should do, but you didn't pay heed just for the moment. You heard and you knew God was speaking, but you let it pass. Maybe there's things you got involved in and you wish you hadn't, and you look back with regret. Or maybe this world has at times got a grip of you and you've gone the world's way rather than God's way and you haven't relied on Him and looked to Him and you look back with regret. Well, those things have been. You have done them or you have not done them. And you maybe look back with regret and really there's nothing you can do about it but come to God and lay it out before Him and tell Him your regrets and seek His forgiveness for it. But there is something you can do now. You can tell yourself that You are going to make sure and you can determine and you can commit yourself to making sure that you will not reach the end of life and look back to this moment, to this day when you sat in Brookside Meeting House with regret. because of all the things that you've done from this moment till your dying day that you would regret and would have to regret or you fail to do what you should do. Will you make that commitment to yourself and to God that from now on you're not going to be an if-only person but you are going to live His way that you're going to exercise that influence, that you're going to seek out ways, that you're going to speak out for Him, speak out for Christ, live close to Christ, that when opportunities come, you're going to take them. That you're going to be, what's the N-word these days, intentional in your living, making sure you will have no regrets. If you're not a believer, 
I've been speaking to believers, but if you're not a believer and you're here today or, or you're listening at home, let me ask you to make absolutely sure of this, that you are not an if-only person or will not be an if-only person like Joash. On that day when we will all stand before God's judgment seat, and each of us will give an account of himself to God, be sure it will not be a day of vain regrets. When you wish your religion had been of the heart and not just outward appearance, be sure that you will not be standing before God and looking back at your life and lamenting, if only you had taken to heart the godly example of a mother or father, the godly example of a husband or wife, that you will not be lamenting if only you had listened and responded to the call of God Christ to faith in Him. His call to repentance and heart trust in Him. Oh, we can picture Joash standing at that judgment day before God when he will give an account of himself. And we can picture Joash before the Lord with such regrets. If only. And the rich young man who turned away from Jesus because he loved his riches so much, saying, if only I hadn't gone away. And Judas, Judas who had been with Jesus like the other disciples, Judas who had the greatest influence and example that anyone could ever have, But his following had been only outward. It had only been a pretense with no heart faith in it. Don't be among that company. When you stand before God and you're required to give an account of your life, don't be in that company. Christ loves you. Christ has died for you. Christ has taken judgment and punishment for sin on the cross. The price has been paid fully, completely. Nothing else is needed. And He offers you forgiveness for sin. He offers that that sin will be wiped clean and remembered no more. He offers you life as His disciple. He offers you life as God's child. He offers you eternal life. Will you come to Him? Will you respond to all that He offers? Will you have that life? 
by putting heart faith in him. Come to him with a broken and contrite heart. David said in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. David had done a terrible thing, but he came to the Lord with that broken and contrite heart, and he was cleansed, he was forgiven. Come to him with that broken, contrite heart. Confess your sin, repent of your sin, ask for his cleansing and forgiveness, and he will give it to you. Don't be an if-only person like Joash. Don't face that day of standing before the Lord and having to lament if only. Come to Christ for salvation. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look at Joash and his life, and Lord, we pray that you would teach us the lessons from it. As believers, Lord, we pray that you would grant us that grace and determination that we will not have to at the end of our life or as we stand before you look back with regret at all those opportunities we had and all we might have done. We left it undone. I look back at the things we ought not to have done and yet we, we did them, Lord, and we say, if only, if only. Oh, Lord, help us not to be an if-only person. But Lord, we pray for any who are, are not believers. Lord, we don't want them to have to stand before you in the company of those like Joash or the rich young man or Judas. And lament with regret, if only, if only. Lord, we pray for unbelievers that now you would speak to them, Lord, that you would touch their heart, that you would give them heart, faith, and trust in Christ our Savior, and that you would bring them to him now. Though, if you would like to do that, would you just pray along with me? I thank you, Lord, for dying for me, for praying, for paying the price for my sin. I put my faith in you. So come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive me my sin and give me life, eternal life. And I ask all through Jesus Christ, 
Amen.